Welcome back, my fellow creatives, to Story Cuppings. We are going, we are continuing something I started last week, where I'm just going to the library, grabbing what's on the new release shelf, <laughs> just to see, because I don't know. And I'm not going to pick a certain genre. I'm just going to grab what, something that's there. And uh, that way, we can just kind of get a taste for uh, what is new and hopefully what is unique. And you know, we'll see if we savor it or if we're kind of done and we're ready to move on. So this one I grabbed, I, I'm already, I was intrigued and confused by its cover. And I think that's why I grabbed it. It's called Nanny Dearest by Flora Collins. And, uh, I mean, it, it's the cover itself is like a picket fence that's that the paint is worn away, and we have kind of like the upper shoulders and then neck and mouth and nose of a red-haired woman, and the hair is blowing over her face, and it's all very tousled. But it, when I see a tousled hair, I, I'm I'm not thinking of a nanny. <laughs> It's such a weird juxtaposition. I mean, when we think of a nanny, we, well, maybe you think of Nana from Peter Pan, but that's a dog that's a little different. But you, you, you get a sense of someone that's a little more prim, organized. Eh? I don't know. Maybe Mary Poppins comes to mind. But uh, I don't get the young girl with mouth open in a pouty way kind of vibe from a term nanny dearest. So it makes me curious as to why this image fits this story. And um, yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what on earth this could be about because I, I can't tell you. Uh, so let's just kind of take a look at the, um, I'll uh, take a look at the, well, we'll let the prologue count, I guess. I don't know really if we can skip it. Um, it's sounding like this is a child's perspective. I wake from my nap. There's no baby gate. So I slip out soundlessly with Lolly. Annie is in the kitchen, so I go to Mama's room. She said goodbye, but I don't want her to go yet. Her door is closed. I reach up and turn the knob and hum our special song. It's quiet. She's sleeping. But I want to play. Lolly wants to play too. The ladies who stay with her tell me not to bother Mama when she's sleeping. But she tells me to anyway. It's hard to get into the bed myself, so I first tug on her arm. She doesn't wake up. I kiss her hand, but she doesn't wake up. I lift Lolly up and let her kiss Mama's face. That always works. This time she stays asleep. I want mama. I grip the blanket and use it to scoop myself onto the bed. Mama, wake up. I jump on the bed with my knees. I'm not allowed with my feet, but she doesn't move. I clutch her face and kiss her lips. That's how Sleeping Beauty in the story wakes up. I sing to her our special song, but she stays quiet. Her eyes don't even open. We're not quite done with the prologue yet. But, um, 
we can gauge as adult readers through this child's perspective that there is something deeply wrong uh, because normally some sort of adult, even a heavily sedated adult, will respond in some fashion to this degree of stimuli. Uh, so we are, as readers, fearing the worst. I sit back, crisscross applesauce. I feel the cry build up in my throat, and I plug it in with my thumb. I hop off Mama's bed. I'll go into my bed now, show Mama that I'm a big girl who can sleep through naps. Maybe then she'll want to play. I bury my nose into Lolly's fur and tiptoe out of her room. She doesn't ask me to come back. So we have here, yes, a child who understands that there is something wrong. And again, for a child's understanding, well, then it means doing something right. And what's the right thing to do? Sleep through naps. So, I mean, the, the child's choices here fit perfectly with what a what is expected of a child. Um, I'm sure someone would say, well, why wouldn't she call for help? Well, because the child knows that she wasn't really supposed to go in there. So the child is going to try and cover up for messing up because the child may think that it's her fault that her mom's not waking up. It's one thing I've noticed when it comes to kid narrators and adults who have not interacted very, very much with kids. Uh, just as an, a little aside here before we dive into um, chapter one of part one, um, is that children have their own very unique logic and vocabulary with things that can be very hard to create authentically as an adult. Especially when kids can throw, I mean, my, my, my middle child, Biff, he will throw out proper, like, <laughs> proper terms like vanquish. <laughs> and barbaric <laughs> when he when he's talking and you don't expect a kid to say it but he's using it correctly but it just comes out of there because that's him and then you have other kids that just have that come up with their own terms for things like i could never create all the names for robots that bash invents because that's just how his brain works and the choices kids make they're often choices that make sense in their world in their routines and it's unless an adult has a regular experience or interaction with such routines and vocabulary and choices, it's hard to truly create an authentic feel then for a kid character. But in that prologue, I was feeling it because that's totally stuff that a kid would do. That was, that's all what a kid, right down to the sneaking out without saying anything. That is totally what a kid would do. Would another kid scream for help? Oh, sure, maybe. But already in that prologue, oh, I gotta keep going. But already in that prologue, um, the kid made it clear that the job was to not bother mama when she's sleeping. So the kid knew that she was already breaking a rule. And if kids do not like getting in trouble, so if she would have screamed for help, she would be in trouble. 
So she doesn't want to be in trouble. She's going to sneak out. So let's see how the prose holds up now in chapter one of part one. I would recognize those bangs anywhere, she says, clutching her large faux leather bag, pink nails pinching the synthetic hide. I can see the laugh lines beneath her glasses rims. I swallow, my tongue darting between my back molars, bracing myself. Well, they stuck, I guess, I laugh lightly, a meek trickle that escapes from my lips before I can stop it. She smiles again, this time with teeth, and I see how her front two overlap, barely discernible. But she's standing so close that it's hard not to notice. But it's an odd detail to be throwing in there. Why, why do we need to know that her front two overlap? That just seems like a waste of space for something else that would help us better visualize this person. All right, moving on. You live around here now? She stopped me in front of a church, and behind us, the congregation trickles out. It's another trickle. Why do we need trickle in two paragraphs like that? Especially it's a two different... Hmm. Okay, nope, moving on. All right. Trickles out, chatting among themselves. A child wails for lunch. The sun beats down hard and yellow, speckling the sidewalk. I raise my hand like a visor, even though I feel the weight of my oversized sunglasses heavy on the bridge of my nose. Yep, move to down to Alphabet City after college, I answer. She nods, pushing a wisp of red hair behind her ear. She's letting the sun in, the pupils of her green eyes shrinking with the effort. You don't remember me, do you? It's a statement, not a question. One that she says confidently, as if it's a sign of a character, that she is easily forgettable. That fading into my brain's recesses is some kind of compliment. The church group disperses, and I step away to let a family by. I'm sorry, I don't. And then, even though she is secure in her stance, amused perhaps by my social transgression, I fumble for some excuse. Forgive me, I... I, I'm not good with faces. She laughs, then. A long, exhilarating sound like a wind chime. Wait. Okay. Just stop for a second. I don't... There's language in here that feels like it's trying... It, it's feeling a little word... Like a word salad. And... I'm just kind of glancing at the back cover here. This is this author's first novel. Okay. Now, I know that my first novel, The Fallen Princeborn, I definitely had my clunky spots in there. And I feel relatively confident that I've been able to grow a bit as a writer since that publication uh, four years ago. This, this feels like a first writer, the first novel. And I'm not saying that to put it down. I guess I'm surprised a little bit just because this is a mainstream publication. Whereas, you know, I published Indie with a very 
the small starting publisher four years ago. So, I mean, yes, there was an editor, but at the same time, there were not nearly the resources that, you know, a typical traditional publishing house will have. So I'm always expecting the writing to be a little bit cleaner, even for first time writers. And there is just something clunky and off with this writing that is, I'm not, I'm not digging it, but I'm going to keep going a little bit longer. I want to see if things tighten up a little bit. I mean, especially ex a long, exhilarating sound like a wind chime. Wind chimes aren't long and exhilarating. I mean, maybe you could, could almost do that at like a church bell. That would make more sense. They're right by a church. Like the church, peals of a church bell. Okay, no, no, I gotta stop. All right, let's keep going. Maybe things change as the dialogue progresses here. <clears throat> I don't blame you. I think you were about three feet tall the last time you saw me. She reaches out a hand, dainty and freckled. I'm Annalise, Annalise Whitaker. I was your nanny. Her hand remains in the air for a moment, outstretched like the bare limb of a winter tree before I take it. Okay. Sue, Sue Keller. But of course she knows who I am. She says she was my nanny. I used to babysit you when you lived upstate. I flinch unintentionally. She knew my mother. How's your dad? He always wanted to move back up there later in life. I bite the inside of my cheek, savoring the tenderized spot there made bloody by my anxious jaw. He passed last year. Car accident. Annalise puts a hand to her mouth, her eyes widening behind the glasses. Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. You must miss him a lot, don't you? He was your whole world back when I knew you. I offer her a smile. Yes, well, aren't most little girls that way with their fathers? Who talks like that? I... Okay. I mean, I, I like... I liked that... Um bit you know the she says she was my nanny i think that's a really nice little tell i mean the, we're this narrator right now this protag our protagonist i guess you know she's not sure and she's just kind of accepting it but this that doesn't necessarily make it true we don't know so i like that oh boy okay the child is still screaming for lunch his mother is speaking to another woman, the three of them the only people left in front of the church. Yes, well, I guess that's true. You and your dad had a special bond, though. She gazes at me then, her face full of compassion, those green eyes penetrative. And we're silent for a beat too long. So I find myself shuffling, moving around her. I, I actually have to meet a friend. I check my wrist, though I'm not wearing a watch. It's a, it's a little cliche, but all right. All right. But it was funny running into you. I give her what I hope is an apologetic smile, backing away from her toward the curb. She stops me, one of those tiny hands on my wrist, almost tugging at my sleeve like a child. Wait, I'd love to see you again. She digs around in her purse. I catch sight of a book, earbuds, some capped pens, a grimy looking chapstick. 
She takes out a receipt, uncaps a pen, and leans the paper against the church's stone masonry, scrawling her number. The figures are dainty, like her hands. It's just such an odd juxtaposition. Maybe it's intentional. Maybe this writer is trying to show, like, there's... The, that this person looks very quaint and nice and sweet and small on the outside because of her hands and her handwriting, but what she keeps inside is kind of gross. But I I don't know. Otherwise, what what's the point of us hearing what's in the purse? I don't get it. I... Oh, I'm sorry to keep you waiting. Tell your friend a crazy lady stopped and demanded you spend time with her. She laughs again, that wind chime chortle. And I pocket the receipt. Nice to see you again, I call, making the traffic light just in time. When I cross the street and turn, she's gone, consumed by the hordes. No sign of that red hair glinting in the sunlight. Okay. I... I, you know, no, I, I'm not enjoying this. <laughs> I'm really not. I think I'm done with this cup. I, I love giving people the chance. But if there's one thing we as writers have learned you only have really a few paragraphs we'd like what is it they like to say the first 50 pages it really let's face it it's the first five pages and i didn't mind that prologue i thought the prologue was really well done getting that kid's perspective of what is clearly a tragic scene that was important that hooked me i was in it's like oh man next it's going to be the police or maybe there's a cover-up or, or something. I wanted to find out what was going to happen. And I don't mind that it's a time jump and that we are going to have to wait. Because again, like chapter one of part one, clearly everyone's older. That is fine. It's fine to have a jump forward in time and then you can go back in time later on to keep things, uh, keep the mystery going. There is nothing wrong with that at all. That's a, that's a smart move. But these interactions between, th this first interaction between these two characters and the descriptions in here, everything, it, it's just not moving along. And I, maybe things move better later, but I just, I honestly do not have the patience with this one. I have so little time to read with job and, you know, God willing, my own writing and, and my family. I do not. And that's why I started story cuppings with first chapter reviews, because picky readers are picky for a reason. If they're going to commit to a book, it's because that first chapter got them and they want to keep going. They don't have time to waste on books that don't connect with them. And that's how I feel. 
and this book is just not connecting with me, which is a shame because that prologue did definitely intrigue me. I wanted to work out what was going on. But if this first scene is any indication of how characters are described and dialogue is spoken, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm putting this down. You may want to give this a go because I hope that that prologue got your attention. If you want to find out more what happened, go for it. Pick up Nanny Dearest by Flora Collins. You may find it just fine for your needs. That is awesome. But for me, this cup is done. And we'll see what the new release shelf brings next week at my local library. I'd love to hear what's at your local library. Let's find out. Let's celebrate libraries for they are awesome. So until next week, read on, share on, and write on, my friends. Cheers.